I want to invite you to turn this morning to the book of First Peter, chapter 3. If you're visiting with us and you, or you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the racks in front of you. Um, page number is in the bulletin. And we are, believe it or not, we are three months in to the book of First Peter. Uh, and uh, we have been exploring this, this letter from an old fisherman um, who is talking about Jesus and talking about the church and talking about life. And in the chapter 3, he has been dealing with, um, he has been discussing our relationship to authority, um, what he calls the created order. Um, and he, he has dealt with honoring the emperor and fearing God. Um, and last week, he, he dealt with a very difficult topic for a man to deal with, which was a, a woman's relationship to her husband and how um, all of that is going to be going on. And if you weren't here last week, um, if there was one thing that I wanted you to get out of that was, I think, really just Peter's love and, and respect that he had for his wife um, and, and how, how he viewed what, what a, a godly woman is. And he talked a lot about inward beauty and inward gentleness and, and about not dwelling on uh, what somebody looks like, but rather seeing what, what is going on in their heart. And this morning, Peter addresses something that I think he was far more comfortable addressing um, and I'm more comfortable addressing, and that is husband's. Um, it is always dangerous territory whenever a man starts walking into talking to tell women their opinion about anything. Um, but, uh, but this, uh, he, he is really now, he's going to deal with the other side of the marriage relationship. And, and we need to remember the context that he lives in. Um, contrary to the Torah, to the Jewish scriptures, Judaism had created a world that was very misogynist. It was, it was focused on the man, and he was the authority, and he was in charge. And women were treated more or less like property. And Peter and Paul, both of them, um, they, these two apostles, they are elevating uh, the role of women above the way that their context dictated that women should be treated. Um, and and they, they are struggling to sort out what it means to have a godly household. And, and this, is, this is a difficult, it was as difficult for them in the Roman Empire in the first century as it is for us in America in the 21st. Um, if anything that 2,000 years of history has proven to us, it's that human beings are human beings and it doesn't matter where they live or what kind of, uh, what kind of government or people, we are broken human sinners. Um, and, uh, and so I want to invite you this morning to just one verse of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Likewise. Now, if we see the word likewise, what does that mean? Just like before, all right? It's just like, likewise, just like the previous section. He had said this to the wives, he had said likewise, and looked backwards to our submission to authority and looked backwards to the model of Christ and his submission to authority. Now he's speaking to men and he says likewise. So he's making a connection backwards. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. 
Father, once again, we look to your word. We look to the written word to show us Christ, um, to show us those who have followed him and that we follow after them. We, we look believing that this is your, your revealed word, that it, it teaches us and leads us and your spirit speaks through it. And we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our hands, um, that we would receive what you have for us, that we would be transformed by what your spirit says. Lord, that we would become more like Christ. And in becoming more like Christ, we might become more loving, more merciful, more graceful, more, more filling the world with loving kindness. Lord, we ask that you would show us what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Peter now is going to be speaking to men, and he there is a, a, a distinct shift in tone that takes place between verse 6 and verse 7 of 1 Peter. Um, when he is talking to, to women, um, he, is, he is very much, I think he's reminiscing about his relationship, and I, I, I can't prove this, but it seems like he really, his, his wife, and we know that Peter was married, his wife seemed to have been everything that a woman was supposed to be. And he, he, he seems to have, I just feel, as I read through it, I get this sense that he adored her for her, her spiritual devotion. And, her, her, and he looked at her and said, this is what a woman should be. And so he calls people to what he identified as the principles that defined her. And again, I can't prove that he's talking about his wife. I might get to heaven and he might tell me I'm completely wrong, that she was you know, completely different. But, but I just, there's, there's something about the way he writes. You can tell when you you can tell when an old man who loved a loving woman is describing the feelings between the two of them there, there's just something about the way he writes and like i said i can't prove it but it just seems like he's there's a tear in his eye remembering his wife who maybe predeceased him and he's he's older you know he's older for his day he's probably in his 60s and uh, possibly even as old as his 70s and i know that doesn't sound old today but back then, that, that made him a very rare breed indeed. So, so Peter is talking about that. And then I think he looks at himself as a husband. And he looks at other men and he says, I also have something to say to you. And it's no mystery. All right? I'm far more comfortable talking to a man than I am to a woman because I, I am a man. All right? I know how men think. I, I can look at you and I can tell you as a man, I can see what you're not saying because I know how men think. All right? um, there, there's, something about, there's just something about that. And I think, I think Peter is the same way. He just kicks in to, and now guys, I got something to say to you. I think that's what likewise, now husbands, that's what it means. Okay guys, now I got something to say to you. Because you know that in the churches that Peter is writing to, that there are those guys who heard this first six verses that talk about the wife and all this stuff. And they're going, yeah, I told you so, honey. I, that's the truth, man. You know, you need to listen to him. He's, he's telling you how to live your life. And so, so Peter then comes around on men. And his words to men are, are very direct commands. And he really has one idea that he wants to drive home. And he says it right here in verse 7. Right at the beginning, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. The, the Greek word live with, 
all right? Your wife, all that, that whole thing is one word, all right? And the idea is sin oikontas, all right? Um, but the, the idea is to bring together what should be together, to bring the home together, and and his 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 belief is that the home is a partnership it's a it's a shared dwelling place and it's not a it's not a 60 40 50 50 30 70 it's a 100 100 shared dwelling place it's 100% her and 100% you and there is a a coming together of finding what it is that your home is with you together how often have have you heard somebody say, "Well, that's what that's that's her side of things," or "That's something he deals with"? Um, and and there is a certain element of there's there's complementary roles between a man and a woman. There, there's nothing that says you have to do everything together. Um, my wife and I, we we have certain things that we do and and certain things we don't do. I mean, she 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 spends a lot of time on homeschooling. I take care of all the finances and the numbers because if I was trying to do you know the homeschooling on top of everything else, I'd be stressed out and I'd be yelling and screaming. And if she was doing the numbers, she'd probably be punching me. I, you know, I, I mean, there's just there's certain things that we we're good at. There are certain things that you're good at and you do. But the the reality is, the home itself has to be a hundred percent shared. So this this idea of sharing the home it has a lot of different aspects to it. Uh, there's a lot of of different areas that we could dive into. We could talk about how some people they they compartmentalize their home to the point that this is my part of my life and you have no place getting into my part of my life. I don't care if I married you and said that I was going to covenant with you and to share everything in goodness and health. This is mine. You no touchy, no touchy. All right. There's there's that kind of mentality. Um, there's the, there's the draw the line. We just happily coexist. We, you know, we share the home. You get your part and I get my part. And, 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 and we're, we spend our entire lives buzzing past each other rather than ever connecting and being a part. He, he's, he's talking about a home that is brought together. Two pieces, two whole people coming together and that the home that they build together is greater than the sum of the parts. The home that you build together as husband and wife, and, and those of you that aren't married and are waiting for Mr. Right, or you're even you're willing to settle maybe for Miss Not Quite Right, but pretty close. All right, um, whatever it is, is you're you're exploring. Maybe you're exploring relationships, and and is this the man or the woman I want to be with? I mean, or you're a kid and you're going, I don't want to be with a boy. They have cooties, you know. They, whatever, whatever your place is, you need to understand. Some adult men, you know, adult girls think that, uh, but the um. Adult girl, isn't that kind of an oxy? Anyway, uh, this, this whole idea of when we come together and we form a home, we bring 100% of ourselves into it. It's a very difficult thing to do. It's not easy. It doesn't happen just because you have a, a you know, well, we have a, we have a, we're very attracted to one another and therefore we make a great couple and we look good in pictures, you know. Um, or, or, you know, well, he was the only one that, asked and so all these different mentalities that we 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 bring into relate i'm not trying to be specific i'm just trying to give illustrations but there's all these things we bring into our homes we need to understand we bring a hundred percent of ourselves good and bad into that home 
And so he says, you want to live together with your wife. And he uses a great statement. He says, with an under, in an understanding way or with knowledge. The Greek word gnosis is the word that appears here. Um, understanding, knowing what is going on. Who she is. And he's talking specifically to men. So I feel like I can speak specifically to men about this. And, and knowing who your wife is. Not on the surface. Because remember, in the previous passages, he, in the previous verses, he's talked about how beauty is not measured by whether you have braided hair and beautiful attire and all this gold chains and jewelry. That's not the gauge of beauty, but rather the internal state is the gauge of beauty. And guess what? You can't know somebody's internal state if all, all you worry about is their outside, outer appearance. You can't know if a person is peaceful inside if all you think about is what they look like. You don't know whether a person um, has, has found a true harmony with God through Christ. If they have uh, given their lives over to Him. You, you can't know that just by looking on the outside. And, and external evaluation, that goes way beyond just you know, what they look like. It's also the words that they use to describe, well, he's, you know, he's a Christian. What does that mean to him? Does being a Christian just mean, ah, I show up at church and I do my thing? Or is Christian a way of life? Has he been transformed? Has she been transformed by the work of Christ in her heart? Has she been broken as a sinner before the Lord and repented of her sin and come to... What's going on inside? I think all too often um, we, we are surprised by what goes on inside people because we're so focused on the outside. The exterior. And he says to the husbands, and this is, this is important, he doesn't say it to the men thinking about getting married. He says it to the men who are already married. You need to know your wife. Now that tells me something about the men that Peter has encountered. And I'd say this is relatively not... not Super, super common, but it does happen that men never take the time to really know the person. And, and there's, a, there's a very good reason for this. Men, generally, is what they is. All right? If, I, I'm going to use an illustration, and I'm, I don't mean to embarrass him, but, but Jed loves superhero comic books. All right? Now, so does Christy, so it's, it's a good fit. All right? Uh, but but Jed Jed has I have n I don't think anybody that spent any amount of time with Jed would go oh you like comic books I never knew, all right because Jed wears Superman T-shirts I mean that that you know he that's that's his thing he enjoys comic books and Bubba Fett and you know all he that's he's that's his that's his vibe you know I mean Matt Birch's license plate says writer okay guess what Matt likes to do. <laughs> you know, this is not. These are these are men tend to men to tend to consciously or unconsciously advertise what's going on inside their heads. All right, this is, this is the reality. You know, if a if a man thinks a woman is attractive, you really don't need to ask him, because all you have to do is look at where his head is. Do you think she's attractive? No. All right, men men tend to be very. Our surface tends to be conformed to our interior. Does that make any sense? Now, men can get good at, at deceiving. We can learn to deceive. 
We can learn to hide what we're going on. And it's a shame that we do that, but we do. And so men tend to, and, and I'm dealing in generalities, but te- men tend to assume, well, if I know what's going on on the surface, I know what's really going on. I, I know I need to deal with the situation. You know, you ever been in a fight, guys, you ever been in a fight with your best friend? Right? How do you, how do you generally resolve a problem with your best friend as guys? You, you grumble and complain about it until the next time you see each other, you go, you know, and then you go off and do something together. You're all set. It's, uh, it's over, it's done. All right, that's, that's how men, men tend to think that way. It's neither right nor wrong. And it's a mistake, however, to assume that all people work that way. And it is a mistake to not get to know the interior, the inner person of your wife. And, and women, you need to understand that your husband, when you tell him your feelings and emotions about this, you need to understand that this, that is, that is not, well, you're crazy, all right? That's not what that, that face is, uh, you're really going to need to explain that more because I don't, I'm not connecting to what you're saying at all. When a man looks puzzled, that doesn't mean that a man is dismissing you. He uh, generally... Men are trying to figure it out. Now, we men, especially we, you know, manly men, we tend to ask questions as demands. Why can't you just not do that? I'm not talking to you about this anymore. All right? The, the, and I, I'm speaking from experience. You have to be, to be a man, you have to be willing to say, no, no, I really want to know. Tell, more, tell me more. Explain it to me more. Uh, explain to me because I don't understand. And it doesn't mean that men are stupid, all right? There's a there's a popular contemporary uh, idea, especially in television, that men and fathers they're generally big dumb bricks, all right? Men men are trying. We we try. A man who is trying, you've got to you got to work with him. But guys, you've got to be willing to ask. You've got to be willing to know your wife. And, and I think Peter had encountered enough that there is a certain tendency, not all guys are like this, I'm not, again, I'm dealing in generalities and abstractions, but we need to know who the person really is. We have to get beyond that superficial layer to find out who the person really is. And that, you never get that 100%. There, and and I, I'm being honest. I'm being very, very honest about that. There, you, no husband on earth should ever reach a point where he goes, I know everything about my wife. Don't need to talk to her anymore. All right? That is a real problem. I guarantee you, Lynn and Jerry have been married 65 years. They've been married longer than my dad has been alive. And I guarantee you, every once in a while, Lynn goes, I did not know that about her. There, there are just these, there are these moments. There are little things. And to know your wife, the Apostle Peter says, know her. Know, know, live together in, in knowledge. Don't just live together based on, on appearance. Live together based on knowledge. Have those difficult conversations. Have those, those moments that you don't understand. And we modern human beings, we don't like things we don't understand. We need to get used to the idea that most of the world is mystery. 
And, and sometimes there are things about your wife that you may not understand, guys. It doesn't matter whether you truly, completely understand it. If you know it, you need to acknowledge it and you need to work with it. Because you made a covenant before God for a lifetime with that woman. So how do we live together with our wives? So that first part that I was talking about, knowledge, that's the invisible part. That's the invisible part of my connection with my wife. That I know her. I learn to know her. I embarrass my wife a lot. I do it far more often than I should. Um, my, wife, my wife thinks, and I'll, I'll, I'll get your, your opinion on this, my wife thinks she needs vocal lessons. Okay? So I, being the loving husband, did this. Now, I know my wife internally. I, I, I know her heart and her passion. And her passion is to, to minister with a purity and a, and a connection. My wife, my wife uh, when, I, when I sing, it's generally, I, I like to think that I teach through the music that I sing. My wife hugs people through the way she sings. All right? And so, you know, I'm, you know, I'm singing, and in my head I'm going, no, you must know this. In her head she's going, It'll be all right. You know, this is this is this is who she is. I know who she is, and she wants to be able to connect to those people. I understand that. But that invisible knowledge of who she is is not to her not as important as the second component that Peter Peter mentions, which is that he says, um, showing honor to the woman. Showing honor to the woman. What is that? That's the visible manifestation of living together. Guys, honor your woman. Let her know how much you love her because she can't hear inside your head. The other men that know you know how much you love your wife. But you have to honor your wife and it has to be public. It has to be willing. You know, I am not, I'm not a touchy-feely person. All right? I don't like being hugged. I don't like being touched. I let Ariel and, and Nicole, they're allowed to touch me. Other human beings have to ask permission. Um, the dog, I, I've tried to tell her not to touch me. She doesn't listen. Um, but the, the, uh, and the cat, he doesn't care. He just jumps on my head. Uh, the, but uh, the, the, the thing is, right, even though I'm not a touchy-feely person, I'm not one of those people that does it, every once in a while... When we're walking through the mall or something like that, I have to reach out and grab my wife's hand and let her know, I know you're mine. And all those other guys, they need to back off. Because I'm almost a black belt. You know, and, and my, every once in a while, I have to say to my wife, I have to thank her for doing things that I kind of think, you know, it's just default, you know. Um, you know, thank you for, for doing, for, for taking care of this. Thank you for, um, you know, making the bed. Thank you for uh, loading the dishwasher. Thank you for, you know, honor 
has to be out loud. It has to be visible. It has to be acted. Now, now I am the kind of person, I don't, I don't really need auditory approval from people. I'm not super interested in people telling me how awesome I am. It doesn't really work for me. In fact, if you tell me something like that, I tend to look at you and go, what are you trying to get from me? All right, this is kind of my, I, I'm not an affirmation. I'm a service person. I demonstrate love through service. I demonstrate love through doing the dishes, doing the laundry, sweeping the floor, you know, cleaning things up, mowing the lawn. The, the, these are the kind of things I do, but I, I've learned as a man that I have to honor my wife. And the Apostle Peter then, he throws in this, this statement that I think is tremendous. He says, honor your wife as the weaker vessel. And we read that word weaker and we think inferior don't we? When we read the word weaker, we think inferior. Something that is weaker is inferior. I, I don't think that's the way Peter means it at all. I don't think that's the way Peter means it at all. Let me ask you a question. If men were so much stronger than women, why don't we have the babies? All right? I don't care how much you can bench press. I don't care how strong you are. You did not allow another human being to develop in your womb for nine to ten months and then go through labor. No man on earth knows what labor feels like. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you've passed. All right? And every time I hear a guy try to compare something he endured with his wife, you know, it's like, yeah, my wife was labor. It was terrible. She was in labor. But I did the... No, no. A, woman is, a woman's weakness is not inferiority. I think it's a weakness of, uh, of perspective. This is the best way I can think of it. How do you build a bridge? If you're a stonemason and all of your life you've built a bridge using stones and arches and pylons and you construct a, a bridge and you say, this is what a bridge should look like. A bridge should be massive and powerful and strong because you're building out of stone. It has to bear the weight directly down. And then you look at some of the bridges, the modern bridges that are being built, and, and it's just a single span of, a, of an iron beam. And, and, the, and the engineers have meticulously planned out how the weight will be distributed over. And so it's this big open space, you know? Well, men think of strength as put more on, build more, be thicker, be stronger. That's what strength is. But a woman's strength is different. It's not less, it's just different. And so when a man looks at it and goes, that'll never work. Now, I'm about to use an illustration from a somewhat obscure book. Um, But there's a a book uh, called Atlas Shrugged. It's a terrible book terrible, awful, poorly written book that for some reason got wildly popular um, for a little while there. But in the book, they invent a metal. And that metal is 10 times or 7 times stronger than steel. And so as a result, you can build this bridge with this narrow just this, this narrow uh, beam and every engineer in the, on the planet goes, it's going to collapse the first time a train goes across it, it's going to fall down, blah, 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 blah. And then the trains start traveling across it and it works just fine. The often gauging the weakness of a woman has to do with our perspective, with our attitude toward what makes someone strong. Because I don't, I don't care what you say. A woman that goes through labor, even if she does take an epidural, 
Right? Even if she has the doctors knock her unconscious and wake her up when it's over, there's tremendous strength in that. I mentioned a couple weeks ago how central women are to the Hebrew culture. This belief, I think, because these men went, well, I can't do that. I can't bear a child. I, I can't, you know, I, I, I can't do that. On, I, I, she's stronger than me. I can hunt and I can fish and, and I can, you know, I can plant the fields and all this stuff, but she raises and nurtures and feeds a child from her own body. I mean, this is just insane. But our tendency is to think that strength has to do with building up and sometimes strength just has to be do with elegance and beauty. Um, I, 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 love, uh, I, I love architecture. I love the effect that... Um, certain spaces have on people. You say, what do I mean by certain spaces? You, you ever been, have you ever been to a, a place that just knocked you speechless? If you ever go to Washington, D.C., go to the Holocaust Museum in, in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., the Holocaust Museum has a place called the Hall of Silence. And you go, why is it called that? It's because when you walk through the door, you are literally knocked speechless. I, I have no other way to describe the room. It, the room is designed, it was intentionally designed to make you quiet. You walk into the room and you just go... I mean, you can hear a pin drop. And although that room, we might not look at it and say it doesn't have the strength of you know, Berlin in the 1936, which was all about the 1930s, Hitler's uh, Berlin was all about showing strength. But there's a different kind of strength. And a woman has a different kind of strength that we need to honor. We need to honor. Because most of the time, as men, we fold our arms and we go, it's not built of stone, it'll never take the weight Instead, we need to look at our wives and honor them as the vessels that they are. Because they are strong. It's just that we don't necessarily see the strength that we expect. And you can't gauge a woman as a man. My wife and I jokingly talk about the reason that we got along so well when we were dating was because she was more like a guy than any other woman I'd ever met. Um, and that was, in some sense, true. She doesn't really, you know, she's not real girly. Um, she's beautiful and she's incredible, but she's she doesn't she's not, you know, oh really? Oh, go. Uh, that, that's just not who she is. And she has this incredible strength. She also kicked me on the back of the head once. That's a different story. A strong vessel often has to be um, bigger to do the same job. But the, the weak strength, and I know that sounds oxymoronic, but the weak strength of a woman is that she can do amazing things with far less than what a man thinks would be necessary for it. And then he throws out this little thing, and I just want to close with this statement because it's just something for us to think about. He says this, Oh, and I, I, let me throw this one in. Because since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You, you need to understand what he's saying there. You need to understand what he's saying there. 
In the ancient culture, a woman had to follow a man. She, she didn't get to choose her faith. Whatever her husband's faith was, that's what she was supposed to do. And he is, Peter is taking women and he is elevating them and saying, they are your equals in grace. They are your equals in life. A woman's life is not less important than a man's life. We are both heirs. All right, so, so this is extraordinary statement that he makes. But then he finishes with this. So that your prayers may not be hindered. What? What does that have to do with it? What it where is he going with that? Can your relationship with other people affect your relationship with God? In our modern American individualized faith, we would say, oh, you know, I don't have that great of a relationship with that person, you know, or my wife and I are having trouble, but it's okay. You know, I can, I can still move on. I'm still going to be strong. I have, a, you know, go through all this, these things. I can still, you know, I have a, I, I'm going to persevere on my own. The Apostle Peter says, once a man and a woman come together as man and wife, they have a, a shared spiritual journey. Now that doesn't mean that they have to always do the same stuff. You know, some family, some couples, some couples do their morning devotions together and get the exact same thing out of it. And isn't this fantastic? And and you know all this stuff. Um, that shared spiritual journey it takes different shapes. For my wife and I, it's often conversations about where the two of us are, reading scripture and and engaging with people, and we'll sit and we'll have a conversation about it. And these these two paths they somehow intertwine, and it's kind of weird and and messy, but it but it's an encouragement to both of us, and it's a challenge. That our spiritual lives are 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 joined, they're they're mingled. And this is one of the reasons, and, and this, um, I know this may sound a little antiquated, and, um, uh, you know, oh, I'm so out of date, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I believe that, that a man or a woman, in order to effectively minister to others, right, and, and that includes their children to a certain extent. In order to effectively minister to others, they have to focus on that relationship they have with each other. If I'm over here and she's over there and we're not talking and we're disengaged, there is an impact, although most people would not be willing to admit it, there is an impact to my ability to minister to other people. To see the spiritual needs of others because my deep-seated, God-created spiritual connection with the person, my primary relationship on earth, which is with my spouse, that's broken. So if the primary relationship is broken, guess what? It's going to affect all of the secondary relationships. And so we often will have conversations about um, someone being involved in ministry and, and what their relationship with their spouse is like. You say, that's invasive. Such is life. The church is built of families. Strong families build a strong church. Weak families build a weak church. Individuals build a church that's designed to meet their needs without consideration of everybody else. But when a church is built of a sinoikunetes, 
synoikontes, all right, a coming together of the house of a man of men and women in their marriage um, and their connection. When they're working together and their spiritual relationship, not perfect, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's, it's engaged and it's living and it's active and it's honoring and it's knowledgeable, it's knowing one another and it's respecting one another. When that is happening, it strengthens the church itself because God in, instituted that relationship first. In Genesis 1, it doesn't say God created man, God created woman, God created the church, then God created marriage. Right? It says God created man, uh, man, male and female, he created them together. The biblical narrative is that that man and woman, that married couple, when they are together, they are together. And you say, well, how does that that translate well it it means it it tells me that we need to have strong families in order to have a strong church right now the elders are working on a a document um on our statement on um the scriptural view of the family and sexuality why well we're working on it for one reason and one reason alone we believe the bible And we believe that culture doesn't get to dictate what the Bible says. And we believe that there are certain scriptural foundations of what it means to be a church. And and those are important considerations that we have to look at as a church. Uh, It should be ready for our semi-annual meeting in November. Peter looks at the marriage relationship and he sees it as this core of this, uh, this dwelling together, this connecting with one another. You say, well, you know, I, I can't do that. Well, today's a great day to start trying. Today's a great tr- start to, well, you know, I, I, I don't know if you know where to start. How about this? Here's a great question. You want to talk about a great question to start a, a conversation between a husband and a wife. Sit down with your wife, men. All right, I'm going to go ahead and tell the men they should start with this. Sit down with your wife and say to you, can you tell me all the things about me that bug you? First of all, after you pick your wife up off the ground because you actually ask that question, and you say, no, no, I'm serious. I don't want you to criticize me, but I want you to tell me, what is it about me and the way that I relate to you that annoys you, that bothers you? And then after you're done with it, guys, I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, don't turn it into a joke. All right? This is my tendency. That's fantastic. Now I know what to do this week. All right? That is not the way to go. Then after she starts bringing things up and you're jotting those things down, guys, Because you know what that is? That's communicating honor. That you're actually noting what she's saying. That you're not dismissing it. Try to avoid this. What she's talking about. All right? Take the time. And then, after you've got that down, you know, go in the bathroom, cry. Have a good cry over the way that she's criticized you. And come out and say, okay, so how can we, and it should always be we, 
It should never be, how can I do this for you? How can we strengthen our relationship so these become less important? So that, I, so that these connections in our relationship, these flaws in our relationship, how can, how can, I, how can we work together to minimize the impact of these things? And you guys, you say, when do I get my chance to list all the things that she did? If you're already asking that question, you're way ahead of the conversation. Just let her do that. And then when you're done, guys, ladies, guys are, you know, they're all in tears. When you're, when you're done doing this and you're done being honest with your husband, go ahead and do him a favor and honor him. And say to him, now I want to tell you all the reasons I love you. Don't leave it negative. Don't ever leave a conversation like this negative. Now I want to tell you all the reasons that I love you. Here are all the great things that you are doing. And you say, well, he already knows those things. He already knows that he's a great provider. Look, you just ripped the guy's soul out. Go ahead and throw him a bone. Now be honest with him. Say, here are the issues. These are some things that are barriers in our lives, in our life together. Here are some great things about you, but here are some barriers in our life together. And we want to minimize this because I love you and I've committed to spend my life with you and I am going to honor that covenant. Every, Every difficult conversation my wife and I have ends with this. In one way or another, we say, we made a covenant together till death. We will honor that covenant. Every single time. And I'm not exaggerating. My wife and I have a difficult conversation, and we have had many. And I know, I've only been married for 15, 16 years. 16 years. All right? And everybody's going, well, you don't know the difficulties you're going to face down the road. You're right, I don't. But I am going to tell you how the conversations will end on those difficult times. And it will be, here is the covenant that we made together, and we will honor this covenant. Both of us saying that. And growing and maturing. When I look back in our marriage and I realize how, how stupid I was at certain points in our marriage, how arrogant I was, how, how confusing and frustrating I was, and then I look at the conversations my wife and I had where she said, this confuses, frustrates, annoys me, and the ways that we changed and the ways that we adapted and the ways that we got stronger, you have to do that to live together, to build a home that will raise and nurture the next generation of Christians who will live together and build a home and continue the legacy of Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Father, you instituted the family. You created man and woman. You commissioned us to multiply and fill the earth. We fell and we multiplied and filled the earth with fallenness. We needed your grace. We needed your love. We needed your compassion. We needed the chesed, the loving kindness that is part of your character. We as sinners continue to seek to know love. Seek to continue to know and to answer that deep yearning for companionship. 
Lord, I pray for the husbands and wives of Bedford Road. I pray for the husbands and wives of every congregation that we know of and don't know of. That we would seek to honor, to love, to know one another in this most important, most primary relationship. We live in the midst of a fallen world, God, and we have listened to the voice of the fallen in so many ways. Help us to hear your spirit speaking. Still and confident and true above all the chaos of this world. And that those of us who are in marriage vows would renew and reinvigorate our commitment to know and honor one another. That those who will be married one day will begin to prepare their hearts and their minds for that relationship. That they will be praying as we are praying for their future spouse that they may or may not know. That their union would be for the glory of our God. For you, our God. Help us to build on the firm foundation of a strong shared faith of households committed to your worship and glory. We are all broken and we all sin and we all fail. And we are reminded of this every day. Help us to also be reminded of your grace. In Jesus' name.